Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ruler Live was a festival of the biggest names in bike racing, many of whom you'll be hearing on this podcast in the coming months or seeing on the Ruler website or YouTube. And it was also a collection of some of the finest, most beautiful and advanced brands in cycling, bikes, equipment and clothing. On this podcast, I get taken on a tour of the latest in tech by someone who knows what they're talking about. And we hear from ruler columnist Ned Bolting, who's once again condensed an entire season of racing into the Roadbook 2021. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So this is Ruler Live, and I'm here with uh, Ruler's digital editor and uh, in-house tech expert, Peter Stewart. Um, Peter, this is actually your first time at uh, Ruler Live, or Ruler Classic as it used to be. Um, uh, have you been impressed by the range of tech that's on show here? Yeah, certainly have been. And, you know, firstly, obviously, it's so exciting to see everyone in the same place again. And I think the industry people are so excited to talk about their bikes and their gear and their technology. And all the businesses are just really excited to see stuff in the flesh after so long of you know bike shops being out of stock and bike shows not being on and races being harder to get to so it's been a super exciting showcase of bike technology and how far it's come in the last two or three years are there some really uh, standout things uh, for you um, in terms of the technology or trends and one thing i noticed is i think at the first ruler classic um, a few years ago we may not have had any gravel bikes at all. There may have been one sort of gravel bike as a bit of a curiosity. But uh, there's loads of gravel bikes, and there's also actually a separate gravel gallery this year. That's definitely uh, a huge trend, isn't it? Yeah, I think, you know, if you went into a coma in 2016 and woke up today, the thing you'd probably be most surprised about after, you know, COVID and all that stuff would be the fact that all the tyres here are like 30 mil, 32 millimetres on the road bikes. But then half the bikes look like mountain bikes from five years ago. You've got these ultra-wide tyres, suspension systems, even front fork suspension on some sort of road bikes with Trans RockShock front fork suspension system. So, yeah, it's like a different world of bicycles, really, and it's really exciting to see how, how different they look, but also how excited people are by seeing this new kind of genre of road bike and how much more potential it gives people to go and explore and have fun and get off the busy roads and onto the quiet gravel track. So it's not, it's not surprising in a way to, that there is a huge you know, component of gravel here. Maybe 20 or 30% of all the bikes here now are gravel. But what is surprising is that, you know, how excited people are about it and how much the whole industry has changed. And, you know, road bike, gravel bike, it's all merging genres and overlapping now. What else has really uh, excited you uh, this year? Obviously, it's harder to bring across in a podcast, but there's a few bikes that just visually look absolutely incredible and just, you know, leave you just 
you know, in the sort of awe fatigue. You know, I think Hope's HBT, they brought an incredibly custom painted uh, Hope kind of track bike, like some of the ones that won the Olympic gold medals, and they brought their TT bike as well. And then Ribble's new Ultra SLR, that really does just look absolutely striking. It's like a it's like the bat bike, it's a bike from the future, and the way they've painted it and the light reflecting off it in every direction in a different color, it really is quite striking. Like you've kind of got bikes that are like conceptual artwork from a few years ago, but it kind of works as well. It doesn't look outlandish, it sort of fits too. Okay, as a sort of committed Luddite um, who's not really keeping up with the latest technology, can you take me to a few stands and maybe show me some of the things that I should uh, actually be paying attention to? Sure thing. The first thing you've brought me to, and pretty much the first thing when you come into the sort of uh, exhibition area, is this thing, that the Dream Box. Can you explain to me what it is? Well, yeah, I think the Dream Box is almost like a, a microcosm for the whole show, really. It's just this, this wooden, beautiful box that's filled with incredible cycling treasures. And you look in it, and it actually automatically shuts and opens, and it's something really quite magical. And the story behind it is that this is 3T's 60th anniversary, and the centerpiece of this bike is actually the 3T Tourno crank. That crank is attached to the 3T Explorer Race Max, which lots of people will probably know about. It's quite a famous bike. It was 3T's first kind of major racy-looking gravel bike, and it's got super-wide clearance and compatibility with 60B, 700C tires, and it can ride pretty much everything. But also, it kind of looks like a really aggressive aero bike, so it's a lot of fun. So, interspliced amongst this bike is a bunch of really lovely, super uh, premium looking other products like a car signature Proton helmet, a set of Koo glasses and some wonderful Castelli kit. And this is all partners of 3T that have offered to add this stuff to the box. And if someone wants to buy these boxes because they're commercially available, you'll have this box arrive in your home with the completely built set up 3T Explorer Race Max inside and it'll be surrounded by these goodies that have been pre-selected. So this is just like the most exciting box I can imagine ever opening. It's a lot better than just hanging your bikes on the uh, wall in the garage, isn't it? Um, one thing that strikes me looking at the um, 3T Explorer Max is that um, yeah, in the old days you had might have a, a, a winter bike, a race bike, a cross bike, maybe a mountain bike. But now, actually, your excuses for buying all kinds of different bikes are, are, are much less, aren't they? Because actually this thing, um, although it's not cheap, is going to do pretty much all of those jobs for you. Yeah, everything short of knocking a few sets of panniers on it and using it as a cargo bike, you know, this can do pretty much everything. It can do the winter ride, it can do gravel rides. I'm pretty sure you'd go pretty quickly in a crit race with it as well if you put the right size tyres on. So it is an absolute do-everything bike. And yeah, I can't really think of anything it can do, which is quite exciting. So I completely agree. All these genres, we were thinking about a winter bike guide a few months ago uh, to publish online and we realised there's no winter bikes anymore. The summer bikes, they just do everything. You can ride these bikes in and out, all conditions, and that's really exciting and on all terrain. OK, let's go and uh, have a look at something else. OK, Peter, this looks uh, something a little bit more familiar. It's uh, the stand which is exhibiting a Hope uh, track bike, which you'll be familiar with from um, the Olympics and the World Championships, etc. And also um, the road-going version. Uh, why have you brought me here? Well, firstly, I think everyone at the show is going to see this because it's one of the most striking things you'll see at Real Alive. Well, probably ever, actually, because not only is it the bike of the future, this incredible Lotus concept bike that won Olympic medals, but it's had this ultra-cool death spray custom paint job to it that really just absolutely leaps out. It's just a thing of total beauty and just works with a kind of crazy conceptual look of the bike. But the more interesting thing probably on the stand is the HBT was obviously made by the Hope team here in the UK, and Hope actually bought their 
CNC aluminium moulds to show the process of making it throughout the show. So Alan Weatherall from Hope can probably explain a bit more about how that works. Yeah, we basically we brought the actual frame we use in the factory and Neil's here laying up during the show all one, one half of the frame, so it's when all, all the complexity goes into the involved in doing it. So not many people actually can usually look inside the frame and see what's inside their carbon bikes. It's actually quite uh, unusual to see something which looks relatively sort of handmade and, and straightforward compared to some of the sort of uh, carbon um, layup machines that, we, that we're used to seeing with the factories in the Far East. Yeah, it's almost like it is a craft-built artisan sort of product, really. Carbon is inherently a very labour-intensive sort of process. There's, there's very few automations in it. Some people do it, but it's very, very limited amount of that, so it's good to be able to show it here. And the track bike uh, behind us, the, with the amazing paint job. Now, uh, one without the paint job um, is, is theoretically at least available for me to buy and, and ride at the track league, isn't it? Yeah, you could go to your local track league quite easily with it, but uh, maybe the cost prohibitive maybe, but uh, it is available for sale, yes. How much would I be looking at? Um, frame and forks? Uh, well, it's between, it starts around 17,000 for the and it's up to about 25 depending on the specs of the handlebars but it's the 3d printing and the carbon bars the handlebars that make the adds to the cost quite a bit really have you sold many yet uh, technically no not, not a single sale yet but we are looking at the the time trial version we've done we've made it a slightly different way so that's that will make it more affordable i would say in the manufacturing processes so that's be more commercial so Peter, you've brought me to the uh, SRAM um, booth or the SRAM uh, exhibit and standing next to a bit of greatness because it's uh, Lizzie Dignan's um, track. Um, what do you think is really interesting here? Well, of course, Lizzie Dignan bike is a real standout, the first bike to ever win the Women's Paris Bay. This is actually the spare bike because I actually saw the original in, in Paris Bay and the spare, and I recognize this as being the spare, but nonetheless, it's exactly the same setup, which is quite cool. And uh, Stu Bowers from SRAM is here, who can actually talk us through some of the features that helped Lizzie win Paris Bay for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're dead right. This is the spare bike. Obviously, everyone knows that the bike she finished the race on would uh, had the blood on the bar tape and so on. So that was whisked off, I think, to Trex headquarters in Wisconsin straight away. So, yeah, but this was actually her number two bike that was on the team car ready for her if she had had a problem in those final bits of the race. Um, so we've got that here, which is great, really exciting, an iconic thing to have the first ever women's Roubaix. And great that, you know, Lizzie won, a British woman winning that race. That's, that's awesome. Um, so, yeah, the features of the bike that stand out for that race wide tyres, you know, that's something that people have done for a long time with Paris-Roubaix, but now, you know, with tubeless tyre technology, um, you know, there's, there's some big milestones here. This is the first time that um, anyone's won Paris-Roubaix on tubeless tyres, so Lizzie's set up here is a 30mm tubeless tyre. Another milestone is this is the first time that someone's won on a one-by drivetrain, certainly in the modern era anyway. So Lizzie's using a, a you know, one-by setup with a 50-tooth chainring with a 10-33 to 33 cassette here as well. So other features, she's using the, um, the secondary shifters, our blip buttons on the, on the tops there. So obviously if she's on the cobbled sections, that means that she can keep her hands where they are and if she needs to make a gear change. On the top tube here, you can see that she's got that um, list of all the cobbled sections so she knows when they're coming up in the race, how long the sectors are, and so on. That's something you see a lot of the pro racers doing. But, uh, yeah, it's just cool. I mean, lots of people are taking photos of that on the booth. The other thing I thought was really interesting on the SRAM booth, on a sort of similar but slightly tangential note, is SRAM's new Explore kind of collection. I don't I probably have a different word for it than collection. But it's SRAM's various companies linked together, so Zip and RockShox, 
and creating a bike solution for gravel that's really fully committed to gravel. So it's not any more like, you know, sort of a bit of a suspension system or a slightly different wheel, but the whole thing is a new kind of gravel committed, uh, you know, group set, drivetrain and wheels and fork. So Stu, could you walk us through that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, the, you use the word collection there, and that's exactly what it is. It's, a, it's about a collection of products that we've made specifically for, or primarily for, the, the gravel market. Um, obviously, we've, we've brought in the collective expertise that we have from the companies that SRAM owns. So we have zip wheels, we have rock shocks for suspension, and obviously our own drivetrain. So the drivetrain is specific for gravel in terms of those ratios. We're kind of hitting that sweet spot between what we have on the road side at the moment and the mountain bike side at the other end. So this 10 to 44 cassette we have for Explore is that kind of sweet spot in the middle to add the versatility to that one by drivetrain for gravel. With the wheels from Zip, this is uh, the 101 Explore wheel. It looks quite different to what a lot of the other Zip wheels, in the, certainly in the roadside, have looked like in the past. Um, there's a lot of new technology in that wheel set to build more compliance, but also in terms of the total system efficiency of that wheel set. So Zip is always a brand that has been about making riders faster. So faster on gravel is about being able to ride more comfortably and also with that um, system with the tyre, have a bigger air volume. So it's a hookless, tubeless system and with some really cool uh, different features with the way that the wheel gives you compliance for the rider. And then lastly, the RockShox products, we've got the front fork there, which is really visible on the front of the bike. Um, that's a specific gravel design, so absolute ground-up redesign. It's not a mountain bike fork that's shrunk down. It's a 30 or 40 mil travel fork. We offer both. Um, with the spring curve, has been specifically tuned to, to fit that sort of smaller travel um, for gravel. And then the, the seat post is a dropper post. Um, and also within that, there's another thing, there's a second feature, which we call active ride, which is kind of like suspension as well. So once that seat post has been dropped into its travel, then you've got that, that plushness to take away the vibrations again. So it's all about, um, I guess, efficiency for the rider, comfort for the rider on, on uh, you know, varied terrain. Um, but also we, we'd sell it as a, a kind of a, a pick and mix. So, you know, it's not about having to have all of it. It's about choosing the products that are more suitable to what you want as a rider. So gravel is what you make it effectively. And do you think that um, gravel riders are, are going to be moving towards, for instance, front suspension? Because that, that's quite a big move uh, in sort of yeah, road frame like bikes, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And we're seeing other brands you know, having suspension systems on their bikes already. So it's not entirely a new thing. Um, but I guess, as I just said, it's, it's really about the type of riding that you do. You know, lots of people like to, to ride gravel bikes in a kind of very fast racey, almost kind of, if you're coming more from the roadside, maybe you want that speed and you're, maybe the gravel that you're riding on is pretty well manicured and not that, that rough. So maybe the, then the suspension fork wouldn't be the best choice for you. But other people really like to take their gravel riding to quite extremes. They're riding mountain bike trails on gravel bikes and that's becoming a thing. For those guys, uh, you know, having that extra... Yeah, ability to have that comfort also the, the control that that fork is going to give you because a lot of people don't realize that suspension is more than just comfort suspension is going to help keep your your wheels tracking the ground better so it's about control if you're more in control you can go faster so there's a whole kind of multifactorial thing with suspension but uh, yeah as i say it's about picking the, the components from that range that we offer that suit your style of riding so you you're making your gravel experience what you want it to be Okay, Peter, so we've come to the uh, classified uh, stand, and there's a, what looks like a fairly standard uh, road bike on a trainer. Um, but the reason you've brought me here is there's something interesting about the rear hub on this, isn't there? 
Yeah, that's right. So at the moment, obviously, in road cycling, there's a big division between can you have a one-by system on the road, will you have enough gears, will the incremental gaps between two gears be too large without having a front derailleur? But at the same time, the front derailleur is a real kind of like cumbersome, unpleasant thing on a bike. And, it, you know, it's heavy, it makes a mess, it's kind of like always fails. So people say, you know, can we just get enough gears, 13 gears, 14 gears on the back? But another solution is what Classified has done, which is creating an effective shift from within the rear hub. Now, I actually don't know how this works. It's too clever for me to comprehend. So Stephen Wong from Classified, how does it actually work? So basically what we have done is uh, we have created a planetary gear system that actually works via induction through a smart through axle. So basically on the handlebar, you could use a satellite shifter, what we have designed, which sends a Bluetooth signal to the smart through axle and then that axle will send a wireless signal into the planetary gear system which actually activates the hub. It is at 150 milliseconds so it's extremely fast. It's actually before you even finish pressing the button you already have shifted and not to mention uh, and not to forget it shifts at a thousand watts so you could really like go full power up a hill and just have a, a seamless shift. So you're actually sitting on the bike. Can you demonstrate how it works? There doesn't seem to be anything visible that, uh, that, that you can see that is actually changing. Yeah. So that's true. On the outside, there's nothing that changes. So even when you pedal, it's just like you're running in the one-to-one -one ratio, which is basically your big ring for us. And then you could shift to your virtual ring. So if you press the satellite shifter, it basically drops the planetary gear to the virtual chain ring, what we have inside our classified hub. And are there any penalties, are there any disadvantages? Is it heavier than a standard system or anything like that? Well, if you curr currently run a two-by system by taking off the front derailleur, mounting a one-by chain ring, uh, putting our wheel set, the bike weight stays pretty much equal or even gets lighter if you had training wheels before. The only thing is, if you have a one-by system already, you are adding on our power shift technology, so it gets slightly heavier for about 350 grams. So it's, uh, it's a little compromise, but then with the shifting technology you get and the bigger gear range, you still get a lot of benefits. So I'd love to try it out one day and yeah, someday perhaps on the road as well. But yeah, I'd like good luck to it and I hope you see more and more of it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so Peter, you've now brought me to the Muckle stand. Not the most glamorous of, of products, I guess, I guess here. And not one that costs £17,000 for a frame, but a crucial part of cycling technology nonetheless. Um, Peter, what, what's particularly interesting about what's on the Markov stand? Well, you know, they say it's not a £17,000 frame, but if your chain is uh, grubby and not, doesn't, isn't properly lubricated, you know, you're going to get more gains from sorting that out than you will from upgrading to the Hope HPT. So, um, you know, Muckoff, like Kings of Lube and cleaning stuff, have got this ultra, ultra advanced solution called the Ultrasonic Optimization. And Lewis is going to talk us through how that works. Uh, so we've just released our Ultrasonic Optimization service. It's just gone out to 20 dealers across the UK at the moment. Uh, by the end of January, it'll be at 300 dealers across 15 different countries. Yeah, so the ultrasonic sound waves are, are driving the cleaning fluid right in there for the first part of the process. Uh, and then it goes through like a, a fresh water wash, airline off, or a, we do a high pressure degreaser just to flush out all that liquid that you don't want in there before you start the lubing process. Because most people are probably not keeping their chains clean and not lubricating them properly either. People are keeping them clean, uh, but then is how clean is clean? We've worked with some, uh, some big London laboratories uh, to work out what clean is. The way we look at it, the ultrasonic clean is the deepest, deepest clean. Uh, so finally, Peter, we are in uh, the Santini stand clothing which I'm a little bit more familiar with than, uh, than some of the tech we've seen so far. Why have you brought me here? 
well, you know, clothing is a big part of cycling and especially a big part of pro cycling. And it's kind of exciting because Santini this year, only a month ago or so, has announced that it will be the official uh, provider of the yellow jersey for the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift. And obviously the Tour de France uh, has been, women's edition has been in existence before, but this resurgence is really significant because it's got a lot of backing, a lot of excitement, and it really looks like the first time we can expect that the Tour de France Femme to exist and be repeatable for a decent run of years and hopefully indefinitely. And uh, yeah, so Fergus, who's created director at Santini, can talk to us a bit about their conception behind making the first women's jersey in a long time for the Tour de France. Sure. So, no, first and foremost, no, it's great to be here again back at the show. Great to see it running again. And it was uh, really a pleasure to bring over these jerseys. Uh, the, as was mentioned there, kind of becoming the official sponsor uh, for the Tour de France, both the men's and women's races. Uh, and absolutely, yeah, major focus now on the, on the women's event. Fantastic uh, that we have the backing uh, of some really uh, key sponsors that come in and that put their money where their mouth is to push women's cycling as hard as possible. And uh, it's going to be a really exciting times. I was wondering, can you talk us a bit about the panels actually? Because it looks like you've got a little bit of different material going on there. Is there sort of a aesthetic or like technical choice going on behind that? Sure. So uh, the jerseys, I guess, well, the, the first and foremost, all the jerseys have to function at a technical level for the riders. So that's that's the thing above everything else. Uh, and you can see here with these jerseys would have been ad- uh, effectively created from scratch specifically for the Tour de France. Uh, we have very specific materials on the various different areas, sections of the jersey. The collar, for example, would be using one specific uh, material that is enabled to be raw cut to be as comfortable as possible. Again, with the sleeves, another ultralight material with uh, an application of a, of a silicone uh, band in the, sh- in the shape of the Arc de Triomphe, if you look very closely. I hadn't noticed that. <laughs> but then I've n- never got that close to a yellow jersey before, I guess. There's still time. <laughs> yeah, and aside from that, again, we have other various elements. That the, the principle, I guess, from, from a pure design point of view, leaving the technical side uh, aside, is to create really a, the most yellow jersey possible, the most green jersey possible, outwardly looking keeping the sponsors happy, obviously, but then including these very subtle details that reference the history of the sport, reference the riders, reference the, really the, the, what, it, what is the Tour de France. So, for example, within each of the classification jerseys, uh, we've created a story that explains what the jersey means and the significance that this jersey has in the world of cycling. And we have left a space for whoever will win that classification we will print their name at the very last stage inside that jersey and that will be their jersey forever Uh, so Peter that's a a real sort of um, lightning tour of the exhibitors loads that we haven't really had time to talk about but um, there there are some things that really stood out for you that we haven't uh, had time to get in Uh, yeah I think just maybe seeing some of these incredible pro bikes in the flesh like Janny Moscon's Paris Bay bike still covered in mud, and you know uh, Egan Bernal's TT bike, Richard Carapaz's Olympic bike, and it's so nice to see this like, kit that these pros are using. And we've got mounds of that stuff lying around the show, and uh, yeah, and equally just some beautiful bikes like Pisoni. We didn't get to spend much time with them today, but like that is a stunning bike. You know, titanium, super high end. You won't find it's you know the, the Rolex or the Patek Philippe of bikes. And you don't get to see bikes like that carefully craftedly made in the flesh that often. You know, they're not the things you run into in bike shops. So, yeah, and ultimately, there's just too much to explain in one podcast section. So I'd advise everyone, you know, you head over to ruler.cc and keep an eye on our YouTube channel as we'll be eking out more and more digital content and video content, trying to, you know, tell some more stories from the show over the next few months. 
Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinoui, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in LACA. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry, which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people onto wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. I'm joined on uh, Ruler Conversations by the journalist, commentator and author, Ned Bolting. Um, it's Ruler Live, Ned, which must mean it's nearly time for Roadbook 2021. Is it here yet? Yeah, it, it was printed and delivered, came off the press um, on the first day of Ruler Live on the Thursday, which is kind of a tradition now. So this is the fourth edition. Uh, and the very first one that we ever produced was in 2018 and we launched it at, well it was then the ruler classic on the on the first day of that so it's it's become a tradition that the opening day of the the ruler live uh, coincides with the um yeah it's a nice it's a nice you know the the day that we actually physically get this book in hand because it's you know incredible as you can imagine incredibly tight turnaround from the last race of the season to actually the book physically existing all 900 pages of it in that four years it's effectively it's become a bit of an institution the road book hasn't it I and mean, people do you know i hope so I hope so. It was very. I think back to 2018. No one knew what we'd been planning for a couple of years. So we were literally just kind of presenting it to the world as a kind of. People going, what? So what is it? But now the kind of what is it? Sort of conversations of a fewer and farther between because I think we've got the message out that it is you know the definitive almanac of, of a year of endeavour. You know, it's what it is. And 2021 was a bit of a odd year in cycling, but not quite as odd as the year before the year that. Before, yeah. It was um, it was a good season actually. Turned out to be, didn't it? Absolutely, yeah. It was a, you know I think back. It's it's it, it really is a pleasure. I, one of the things I do with the book is I write a really very long. I mean, it's ten thousand words. I think this year, um, editor's introduction, uh, which sums up the year. You know, and each year is in isolation has different characteristics is different has been a different thing you know 2019 was exceptional i remember there was that stunning sort of advent of julian alaphilippe's talent at the, at the tour de france and the prolonged spell and there was that amstel gold race that Mathieu van der poel ripped the head off and then 2020 of course produced you know just one isolated headline in itself is enough to feast off for an entire season and that was Tadej pogacar's Tour de France, first Tour de France victory with the Planche des Belfi time trial. You know, that in itself was just... True. But 2021 has just been full of competing intrigue, right? So I wouldn't say there's one single defining race or moment, you know, 
2018, sorry, 2018, when I think about it, our first one, was defined by Chris Froome's rampaging solo attack in the Giro that won in the race. You know? So what's happened in 2021, I think, is that you could name half a dozen exceptional moments from Lizzie Dignan's Paris-Roubaix victory uh, through to um, Kiesenhofer's Olympic you know, gold medal with Anna van Fluten thinking she'd won it. Um, through to Alaphilippe's yellow jersey and world championship and then everything that Wout van Aert did. And let's not forget Mark Cavendish. You know, it really has been a feast. A lot of people, I guess, will uh, remember uh, in particular the wet Paris-Roubaix. We had a wet Paris-Roubaix uh, after years of dry ones, mainly by moving it to, a, <laughs> yeah. to the wet a end A more of inclement the year. month, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it goes back to April uh, next year. But actually, the, it, it looks like we might get... Uh, an undisturbed um, schedule next year, which will be interesting after a couple of years when it's been all over the place. Yeah, I mean, so we, we, we with, with the roadbook in 2020, we changed the monogram, the little logo, and kind of like redesigned it so that it was fractured. And uh, we thought that would be a one-off. Um, and and the, the, we labelled 2020 a year apart. We gave it a little kind of name. And we were really hoping that 2021 would be just back to where we'd begun in 2018, 2019. But it hasn't been. As you're right, the calendar was affected. Some races were not raced at all. Others were shunted around. So we kept with a sort of fractured monogram. And for our motto for this, this edition, it's Per Aspera Ad Astra, which means through hardship to the stars. Per Ardua Ad Astra, isn't it? Well, there's two different versions. Ah. That's, that's your Royal Air Force <laughs> yes. one there. That's um, where which, I'm familiar yeah. with it from, yeah. Um, which means adversity, I think, and per, per aspera is through hardship to the stars. Regardless, you get the message. And, and, and like we think, we're hoping that 2021 is, is like reaching and grasping the light at the end of the tunnel and that 2022 will be back to 975 pages or whatever because it's, I think we lost about 100 pages of, of the roadbook this year. When I um, first met you at this year's Ruler Live, you said... How was your pandemic? Yeah. Uh, yeah, nice <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I guess there's a question for you because uh, how's your pandemic? I've had a wonderful pandemic. Um, it's been brilliant. You've been everywhere, haven't you? You've actually uh, done quite a bit of travelling, haven't you? Y- yeah, yeah, and often with a guilty conscience, you know, because it's a strange phenomenon that you know. The, I do a lot of work for the Italian races, and I, I commentate on sites for them, and it's um, for strange and technical reasons actually cheaper. To, for them to have commentators on the road and on, at the finish line every day than it is to equip a, a remote studio in London and add it on there. So um, all, the, all the Italian races that I've commentated on over the last over the pandemic and, and others, I've been out there. You know, they've flown me out to these races. So I have been to repeatedly to Italy. I've been to Sicily. I've been to Spain. I've been to Germany. And I've been filming in Ireland. And I feel um, very privileged to have done that. Slightly uncomfortable to have done that. And... Um, yeah, it's been a bit of an... I mean, I just, you know, I want things to be back to normal. I do want things to be back to normal. I know, yeah, we, most people watching the TV probably know that a lot of the time the commentators aren't actually yeah. there. But it does make a difference, doesn't it? Oh, hugely. I mean, we've done... So, that, I mean, the big, the big gig is the Tour de France, isn't it, obviously. And we've done two years of the Tour de France now, remotely from studios in Kent. And um, the first year it was a novelty, second year it was crap. You know, I just, it wasn't funny. It's not, you do miss so much. You miss being part of the, you miss being part of the adventure. And that seeps into, almost unconsciously, into your commentary. Or rather, if you're not there, it leeches away from your commentary a little bit. And um, yeah, it does have an intangible impact, which is really quite significant over the piece. Because it's a three-week bike race, isn't it? With kind of six hours of live broadcasting every day. It's a lot of words. So you're hoping that 2022 will be different? We, uh, uh, my understanding is that ITV are returning on site 
so we will be in Copenhagen. We will follow the race to Paris. I hope that doesn't change. That's certainly the ambition at the moment and um, can't come soon enough. What do you think we're going to be uh, seeing next year? What's it going to be the, uh, the year of, do you reckon? Well, I'm going to be very interested to see what Remco Evenepoel does because we've seen uh, the good, the bad and the slightly ugly from him this year. I mean, he's such an exceptional talent. That feels churlish almost to say it, but I'd be very interested to see what, you know, he was the victim of an extraordinary amount of hype ahead of the Giro that was totally unjustified <coughs> given what he'd come back from with hindsight but what does that mean for 2022 you know and where are his where is his potential as a Grand Tour winner I don't think anyone knows including him so that'll be one thing to really uh, watch out for obviously the Cavendish will he won't he get there to France in the first place and if he does will he win a, a stage or two is will keep us all guessing probably right up until the eve of the race but I think the big, you know, if you're looking for big, significant movement next year, I think it's all about the women's peloton and the women's race programme. The first um, Tour de France des Femmes. Um, how will that go? What will it be? Who will win it? Um, how will it be received? I mean, I honestly think without a shred of exaggeration, Ian, that uh, the, the moment that Lizzie Dignan lifted that cobblestone above her head this year was in my kind of 20 years of following this sport, the, the biggest single step taken by the women's peloton I mean, it just it just screamed, we've arrived and we demand parity everywhere. And they haven't got it and they're not even close to getting it, but they are making giant strides with each passing year. And I think I think once again, I think women the women's racing scene will come on leaps and bounds next year. And overall, for the past um, season, both the men's peloton and the women's peloton, the racing has been really exciting, hasn't it? It's been really, a lot of it has oh, been really yeah. unexpected. Yes, yeah. I mean, actually, weirdly, with the exception this year of the three Grand Tours, you know, let's be brutally honest about it. From the moment that Roglic and Thomas um, crashed out of the Tour, in their various different ways. Uh, it was Pogacar's to lose and, you know, we, we were in the end treated to the only credible threat that wasn't really a credible threat came from Jonas Vingegaard, who we didn't know much about before, you know, that. So um, Bernal stamped all over the Giro and Roglic, uh, you know, was a pretty much a procession um, at the Vuelta. So we could do with a, we could do with a close Grand Tour. We've, we've been treated in previous years recently to a succession of very close Grand Tours. For whatever reason, we just didn't get them this year. So it'd be nice to... Um, redress that balance slightly um, but yeah the continuing progress of Tom Pidcock um, the continuing you know rivalry of Van Der Poel and, and, and Van Aert will, 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 will rattle on but now then they've got other riders you know like Ethan Hayter to kind of uh, reckon with as well so that'll be that'll be really interesting and yeah wherever you look you know Peter Sagan moving on to a different team that's interesting Sam Bennett going back to where he was at Border Hansgrohe there's so much intrigue wherever you look really and there'll be names like Vingegaard will emerge from nowhere and you know we'll be talking we'll be sitting here this time next year going well what about him looking forward to it Ned and looking forward to listening to you commentating across the year thank you Ian. thanks for joining us pleasure and if you're quick you can buy a Ned Bolting signed edition of the Roadbook 2021 from ruler.cc just £45 to subscribers I'm Ian Parkinson and that's it from this Ruler Conversations This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. 
Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 